Well, the Florida Panthers are one game away from their first appearance in the Stanley Cup final since 1996, their inaugural season. As we remember, that's where all the rats came in. They came in last night at the end of the game. And the Florida Panthers are one step closer. That was, I really thought that that game was going to go in a different direction. I, the way it started, I, you know, I, I tweeted out, I thought Sebastian Ajo was going to have a big night. Oops. Guess he didn't. Sergey Bobrovsky with the shutout. And he has just been, I, and I know that people will point to the, the fact that I said, I thought he was going to turn into a pumpkin at some point. Can't win them all. We, we're we seeing a performance for the ages from Sergei Bobrovsky, something that even the smartest hockey people would not have figured out. So here's a stat. This one from Sportsnet Stats. Panthers' Sergei Bobrovsky sets record for the most saves within the first three games of a conference final or Stanley Cup semifinal series, 126 and counting, Previous record holder was Johnny Bauer, 125 saves for the Maple Leafs versus the Canadians in the 1960 Stanley Cup semifinal. 63 years. That's that's what kind of a performance that we're seeing from Sergei Bobrovsky. So I'm thinking about what this all means for the NHL and, and the teams in it. We all know the story about how the Panthers got in. We all know how great Bobrovsky's been in these playoffs. And, and he's probably the Conn Smythe trophy favorite at this point. No disrespect to Matthew Kachuk. And I understand. I wasn't the only one that thought that mm, maybe he just got hot and things are going to slow down. Well, that hasn't been the case. But here's what I want people to ask themselves. And I'm going to ask you the same question. If the Florida Panthers make the cup final and win... How do teams try and model themselves after the Panthers? Like, we know the NHL is a copycat league. How do you copy the Florida Panthers? Do you win the President's Trophy the year before and then get swept by the eventual conference champions in the Tampa Bay Lightning? Do you trade away your leading scorer and second best defenseman? Do you trade away multiple picks and prospects for former high-end first-round picks? I'm looking at you, Sam Reinhart and Sam Bennett. Do you try and catch lightning in a bottle with a $10 million goaltender who hasn't played anywhere near the worth of his contract since he got there? To me, the, it's funny to look at the Florida Panthers to think that they were inches from not making the playoffs. That, to me, tells me a lot about playing meaningful games down the stretch. The Florida Panthers have basically been playing playoff hockey since January. For lack of a better term, they have scratched and clawed their way into the playoffs, and I believe they've now won 10 of 11 games. They're on the verge of a sweep for the second straight series. That's how great the Florida Panthers have been. And the thing that is the most remarkable to me about this whole situation with the Panthers is that they couldn't play a lick of defense during the season. And when they could play defense, they couldn't get a save. Whether it be, you know, a little bit of Spencer Knight, a little bit of Alex Lyon, and a lot of Sergey Bobrovsky. Look at the numbers that Bobrovsky had coming into the playoffs. He has just been lights out after a 
poor season. Is he worth the contract now? Like if they if they get to the Stanley Cup final and they win the Stanley Cup this season, it doesn't matter what you pay Sergei Bobrovsky the rest of the way. It doesn't matter what you paid him up until this point. Because if they win, he's probably the reason why. That's how good that Sergei Bobrovsky has been. I do find it so interesting that when you look at the teams that they've beaten along the way, the Boston Bruins faced almost no adversity basically the whole season. They were almost untouchable from the moment the puck dropped on this season. Toronto Maple Leafs had a playoff spot basically locked up since January, much like they did last year. But the Florida Panthers have had to work for every single inch of these playoffs to the point now where they are almost undeniable. You do not expect teams to score more than two goals against them. They've somehow turned into the greatest defensive team that we've ever seen. All of a sudden, we're now looking at the Florida Panthers going, yeah, they can beat anybody, whoever's left, whether it's, whether they got to play Vegas, who's up 2-0 that game tonight against the Dallas Stars or Dallas. You look at either of those teams and go, yeah, Florida could probably shut them down. It's been a wild ride for the Panthers. They did lose Sasha Barkov last night. And as of, as of last night, we did not have an update on his status. Um, Paul Maurice joked about him being at a bar mitzvah, and that's why he had to leave. He didn't want to disappoint the kids. I get it. I understand. But we await word on what is next for Sasha Barkov and how that's going to affect the Florida Panthers going forward as they hold a 3 nothing series lead on the Carolina Hurricanes. Welcome to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchesian for Jeff. Elliot Freeman on the other side. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up on the program, Mike McKenna will join us in the next block. Uh, Eric Francis, Calgary has their new GM, and others. We'll get into a little bit of that. And Daniel Negreanu, world champion poker player and Vegas Golden Knights super fan, will join me at the bottom of the next hour. But as we mentioned, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada, 32 Thoughts, NHL on Sports, and everything else. He saves lives while he's on walks, too. Elliot, how are you this morning? I'm not saving anybody's lives. As a matter of fact, I might just make them keel over. <laughs> I know. You've had some long nights, eh, Elliot? Lots of uh, lots going on there. So I was, I was waxing poetic about the Florida Panthers in the open, and we'll get to Calgary. We'll get to the Duba statement. But for me, I'm watching the, the Florida Panthers, and I'm saying, like, I don't know. I know the NHL is a copycat league, but I don't know how you can try and copy the Florida Panthers. Do you, I would say, do you win the president's trophy the previous year and then lose in the second round by getting swept by your, your state rivals. And then you trade your, you know, your leading score and your second best defenseman. Like there is, there is no path that really makes a lot of sense to copy the Florida Panthers, which is why I think their this run has been so remarkable because nobody ever expected them to get here. Well, I think if you want to copy, you have a goaltender stopping uh, 99.8% of his shots. That's probably the best way to copy And be it. overpaid for the first four years of his time in the city. Yes, it's <laughs> kind of funny how it works, eh? Um, you know, Bobrovsky is, uh, Bobrovsky is uh, incredible. And, you know, the one thing I think is Kelly showed a highlight pack last night. Um, you know, it's not like the 1980s anymore, Matt, where you can just skate over the goalie and... Or get, you know, it's it's not like Ryan Miller, Milan, Lucic, 2010, where you can blast them into the next planet. Um, but 
Uh, I do think that Carolina hasn't given Bobrovsky a rough enough ride in front of his net. Kelly showed a great pack last night just about how clear it was in front of him. Like there was one highlight he showed where or Gudis is doing a great job keeping some Carolina player away from the net, and Bobrovsky like pushes Gudis away because he's like, you're too close. Uh, you know, I mean, so, I mean, like you always look at it and say, what can you do to throw off a goalie's rhythm when they're on something like that? And my joke is the Hurricanes have to kidnap Bobrovsky so he can't even get to the game tomorrow. <laughs> but I definitely think that he's not getting a rough enough ride in front of his net. And, yeah, you, you risk goalie interference, but – Right now, like, I don't care. Like, you have to do something different because the guy is on too much of a roll. Well, you talk about risking goalie interference. We don't even know what goalie interference is anyway anymore, so you might as well take your chance while you can. But uh, just on the on the Hurricanes, because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned them, and I'll, we'll get back to the Panthers in a second, but is there is there a, a chance that Carolina really lacking that elite score, no Svechnikov, no Pacioretty, they didn't go out... Once they found out that Pacioretty was out, they didn't go out and try and kind of replace him at the trade deadline. I know they don't believe in rentals in that organization, but is there a chance that that is a big factor in why Carolina can't score because they, maybe they just need the one guy? Or do we look back at the series that you know Florida just played against the Leafs where they have all this offensive firepower and it doesn't really matter just because Bobrovsky's been that good? You know what? I, I think, it, first of all, I, I give credit to the person who's actually doing it, right? Like, Bobrovsky is a guy who deserves credit. I, I think that he's, he's earned this. Um, you know, it's superhuman, but I think first and foremost, you have to give credit to the person who's doing it. The second group of people I give credit to are the players in front of him. Like, if, if you watch um, Florida, they have a certain way that they play, and that is that they're going to make it hard for you. Like, they really protect the front of the net. How many great rebound chances has Carolina gotten? Not many. Um, you know, like, they battle. They make it hard to get there. They, they, they protect them in front. They're a pretty disciplined group. Um, you know, to beat Carolina, you've got to be really good on the walls, and they've been very good there. Um, so I think the, the Panthers as a team – uh, their scoring has been opportunistic, but I think they've been very disciplined in terms of the way they play in front of them. And then, yeah, you know, I think with Carolina, they're missing a lot of offense in Pacioretty and Sveshnikov. Um, you know, it didn't really cost them. Uh, you know, they were able to win a series against the Islanders despite it. They were able to win a series against the Devils despite it. And that's not insignificant. But, you know, like, is that the reason they're losing here? It's part of it. I think the big reason is Bobrovsky. But you know, hey, like there's, there's, you can't help but look at this series and say, well, it's, it's. I mean, it's an easy thing to say because they're losing. Oh, I finally caught up with them. Well, not really. It's something that they've had to deal with the whole time. It's always been there. But you know, this is this. They finally run into the one guy they can't overcome. You know, so far, yeah. You know, like the one, the one thing I would say though, Matt, is that. Like, I know it's 3 nothing, and it seems enormous because of how well Bobrovsky's playing, but it's not like Carolina's getting killed in this series. No. Like if you're, if you're Brindamore, like, it's not like you're losing 9-2, 8 7-1. You've lost one game in double overtime. You've lost, or sorry, you've lost one game in overtime. You've lost one game in quadruple overtime, and you've lost one game in 
uh, one nothing. Like you, you have to sell your players on that, even though it looks enormous. You're right there. So the the and it's I'm glad you mentioned Florida and and how they play in front of Bobrovsky because that was not the case during the regular season. Like they were, I think they had like the 21st or 22nd ranked. Uh, they were the 22nd ranked defensive team in the league. Like somebody tweeted me last night when I was talking about how it feels almost insurmountable to even get two past Bobrovsky at this point. And somebody said to me um, that, you know, they used to bet always on the over when Florida was playing because they couldn't defend worth lick, which, which leads me to believe. And it's been said before that playing good team defense or even individual defense is not so much about talent because to get there, you have to be able to do at least a little bit of it, but it is now a mindset. And this team has bought into how we're going to win is we're going to have to protect the house. We're not going to allow good chances and we need to work and the goal scoring will somehow take care of itself. And that's what's been the recipe for success for the Panthers basically since the series against Toronto started. Well, I, I think you also have to get the saves, right? Like you can be, sure. you can play great team defense and protect the house. And if the puck goes in, well, nice defense you had there. Like you know, like you have to get the saves. The number one thing, like, like you look at you look at the Panthers last year. They beat Washington around line, and they got their asses kicked by Tampa Bay. And and the, like, I still remember that game two pack we showed of all the Tampa players going to the room and back, like. Chernak, Stamkos, all the guys who got hurt and came back to that game. And in the playoffs, you're right. It is a mentality. It's a lot of a mentality. But you've got to get saves. Like if, if Bobrovsky isn't doing what he's doing or Alex Lyon isn't doing on some level what Bobrovsky's doing, it doesn't, like, they are different. They are more committed. They are more disciplined as a team the way they play. But you've got to get saves. And you know, this guy, the other thing about this, and we started talking about this a lot more now, Matt, is that for a guy who who's really struggles under a heavy, heavy workload, you look at how the last two months have lined up. You know, he, he missed a bunch of time at the end of the year, so he was able to get rest. He didn't start the playoffs, so he was rested when he came in. The Toronto series had all those days off and ended in five games, so he didn't get taxed. And now, for the first time, he's got like an every other night series, and they could be over tomorrow. Like, so then he can rest up for the final. It's uh, like everything's coming up Millhouse for the Panthers. <laughs> well done. Elliot Friedman, NHL and Sports, that Hockey Night in Canada, and 32 Thoughts. Uh, I wanted to spend a couple minutes here on Sam Reinhart because. When we look at when he came into the league in in Buffalo, the second overall pick in uh, in 2014, and there were high expectations there. And Buffalo, the organization, we know all the trials and tribulations that they've had, especially developing players. But, you know, near the end of his time in Buffalo, started to really play well. The contract became an issue, and then they decided to deal him to Florida. Now, it's not like Florida didn't pay a lot to get him because they did. But you look at the evolution of Sam Reinhart. He scores the game winner last night on the power play. It, it is it is really a treat to watch how well-rounded Sam Reinhart has become as a player. Plays on the third line on a regular shift, gets top power play minutes. But that evolution for Sam Reinhart, it's been quite something to watch. Well, I think when you're in a situation where you do a lot of losing, like if you remember, go back to Sam Reinhart's last exit interview in Buffalo. 
I always remember that. It was like, man, like this guy was crushed. He couldn't take it anymore. And I think when you know what losing is like and bad losing is like, you're willing to do a lot of things to get into a winning situation. And I think that's exactly what happened with him, uh, Matt, is that he goes to Florida and, and he sees some success and he's like, I will do whatever it takes to make this work. Like, he still plays a ton. I think I checked it last night when Barkov was hurt. I think he plays the fourth most minutes average of any forward for Florida in the playoffs. So it's not like he's picking splinters out there. But, you know, like the one thing about that Maurice said about him in the Toronto series was even when there were times he didn't play a lot, it's not like he complained about his ice time. So I think you understand what losing looks like and you are willing to do anything you can to create a winning environment. And, you know, I, I think that's just the way he is. He doesn't say much. He, he understands and just does it. Um. You mentioned Barkov in there, and he leaves with the injury in the first period. Do you have any update on Barkov? Do you expect him to play tomorrow? I know Paul Maurice didn't give us anything last night, which is no surprise. Um, do you have any expectations for him being available? Or do you think, you know, they're up 3 nothing? Maybe they allow him the extra day's rest if it's not something that's obviously super significant? Uh, you know, I, I love the, love the Barmetra line last night. <laughs> That'll... Well, big, uh, big bar mitzvah population in uh, in Florida. That was I, I got a good laugh out of that. Um, you know, he did a radio interview this morning on WQAM, which is uh, the big sports radio station in Miami, and he said it wasn't that serious. But he didn't give an update for Game Four. You know, to me, if you're healthy enough to play, you play. Um, you know, the the other thing too is, you know, like I look at it this way: if there's any doubt at this time of year. When you're up 3 nothing in a series, you don't play them. But if you can play, you play them. Because, Matt, if you win, you know, the Stanley Cup final, when's it going to begin? May 31st, June 3rd, something like that? You know, you can, you'll have a long time to rest. Okay, on to uh, Kyle Dubas. So he releases a statement today on behalf of uh, his family and himself. I'm no surprise that he didn't go into great detail about what happened in Toronto at the end. Uh, he's looking for another job. He probably has a, a long future in this game if he so chooses. With that being said, do you think that he ends up resurfacing somewhere? I know Pittsburgh is hot on his trail, especially after we all thought that that job was pretty much in the bag for whoever. And then the tides changed once Kyle Dubas became available do you think that also, do you think there are teams that are reevaluating their situations because Kyle Dubas is available? Uh, well, Pittsburgh absolutely did reevaluate mm-hmm. it. They were getting pretty close, and now they're, they have permission to talk to him and, you know, they have. Um, I don't know where this is going to go. I, I, I think that, to me, um, he, he, look, Last week he said it was strong or nothing. Some people are like, oh, he's considering Pittsburgh now. Like, to me, the way that ended, it's all thrown out the window. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I think if it had ended amicably, I think that maybe there's not a desire for him to get back in so quickly. But, look, I say this all the time to Merrick, uh, Matt, I can only judge others as I judge myself, right? Like in that kind of situation, I I would be thinking about 
all right, let's get back in there. Now, I still think he has to decide if he wants to move his family. I think he's going to take a little bit of time and think about it. Um, I, I think Pittsburgh's prepared to give him a little, like, if he's interested, and I think on some level he is, uh, uh, Matt, uh, I think they're going to give him a little bit of time to kind of think about it and discuss it with his family. Um, you know, I, and I think that's kind of where it is. Until, until he tells them no uh, over the next little while, I think Pittsburgh's going to say, okay, here's what we're willing to do. Here's what we're looking at. Let's talk about it. And I think that's kind of where it is. Okay, and so with all that being said, how highly do you think that Kyle Dubas is thought of around the league? Because I, I feel like he would be, and, and for Pittsburgh to basically stop what they're doing to allow them to at least have a conversation with Kyle Dubas kind of speaks volumes. But is, do you think that's the same sense around the league with him? Because let's face it, there's not the track record in Toronto didn't look great. Not all of it's on him. He doesn't play the games. I understand that. But do you think the shine is still on him in regards to, you know, maybe it's he takes a year off and then he becomes a prime candidate for another job when they come up? Uh, I think all of this is possible. I, you know, I think there's the Ottawa situation too. Um, I think, you know, I think we're getting closer to uh, recognizing or being told which is the team that is going to uh, get the window to negotiate the players. Um, so I, I think we're getting closer there. I, I think he could potentially, depending on who wins, have an eye to that situation to see what they're going to do. Um, so I think that's possible. I have thought about him, the possibility of, does he take some time uh, become the, the new producer of the Jeff Merritt show and take a year into media? You can't, um, you can't afford that pay cut, Elliot. I promise you that. I don't know. I, I, I heard your uh, I heard your Snickers budget is pretty high there, Marquise. <laughs> um, like I like I think like like put it this way. Like a week ago, Matt. Like we like it looked like he was going to sign a contract extension. So I still yeah. think he's kind of coming to grips with what's what happened exactly here and where we're going. But you know, I, so I think he's going to have some options. But yeah, I, I think he's pretty well thought of. Like. You know, like, like I look at it this way. Since 1967, he's the highest winning percentage of any GM in Toronto. Okay? Did he have a ton of playoff success? Uh, no. But, unfortunately, when it comes to the people, there's a lot of that to go around. Yeah, very true. And, you know, like, like I think this. I, I think that he, that he tried to create the best possible environment to win in. Yes, uh, I, I think he did. Did he... Did he uh, did he have a good process-driven plan? Yeah, I think he did. Did he make mistakes? Did he make moves that he wishes he would have undone? Absolutely. I, I think he did, or he would not do them again if he could do them over, for sure. But I think overall, um, like, I, I think this was a team that, um, you know, like, does he leave it? Like, I always look at this. When you leave somewhere, do you leave it better than you found it? And I think he left Toronto pretty good. Um, Again, perfect, no. But there were a lot of things that he did here that I think are going to be, that the Leafs are going to use for a long time because they saw them as good things. So, like, so I do think he's generally 
well regarded. Now, I'll say this about Dubes too. I think generally he tries to treat people very well. And you know, the thing about that, Matt, is like in, in, in the real world sometimes that's seen as weakness because people try to take advantage of you. I think people tried that and maybe got away with it early in his time, but I think it happens less now. And I think this isn't a nice thing to say, but sometimes when you are in charge, you have to make decisions that affect people poorly and you have to do it, but you have to try to do it in the best possible way. And I think he does try to do that. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I wish him all the best, and I do feel like uh, he's going to land on his feet somewhere probably sooner rather than later. Okay, uh, speaking of landing on their feet, Craig Conroy, uh, we're expecting to hear that name today when the Calgary Flames hold the press conference at 2 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Mountain. Um, they did also say in the release, and other Flames hockey personnel are we expect i mean dave Nonis's name has been out there jerome mcginless do we anticipate that those are going to become official today as well in some capacity yeah i don't know exactly what the ginless thing how it will work because uh, you know he's indicated that he wants to coach his son for one more year but the flames will make that work Nonis, yes i i've wondered if uh there's a a, a new title for brad pascal as well um, you know, Aaron Francis wrote uh, today on Twitter, I think, that, you know, Chris Snow is going to be kept on. And I, I think that's very important to the Flames. So that's that was good to hear, too. Um, so I think, yes, I think I think Nonis, Conroy, clarity of a Ginless role and potentially a, a, a new title for Brad Pascal is going to be all part of this. I believe if there's more, I'm not aware of it yet. What, what are your expectations for the coach there? Because, you know, I know that they they brought in Daryl Sutter and that may not have been a super popular move around there. But listen, Daryl Sutter had some success there. What kind of direction do you think they go with the next head coach? And, and how much of that is uh, you need to get Jonathan Huberdeau going if this is going to be your job? So that should be plan A. Uh, you know, I think that is a huge part of it. Um, look, like, you know, the one thing about Calgary last year is, you know, they – in terms of, like, shot attempts and things like that, Calgary was one of the better teams in the league. But And Justin Bourne wrote a great piece about it earlier in the year. It, it, there was a lot about their shot quality. And I do think they want to um, ch- change a little bit of their repro- approach to offense. And I think that's going to be a big thing. Look, also, um, you know, they're, the Wranglers, they lost a really tough series to Coachella Valley. They lost the deciding game in overtime in, in, the, in, the, in the division final. Um, they had a great regular season. Um, you know, guys like, like Pelche is going to play. Um, you know, Connor Zary is getting closer. Dustin Wolf is going to play. Um, you know, uh, some guys told me that Poirier is, is, is getting closer. It'll be interesting with him. You know, this year, some of the young players came up and they didn't really get used very much. So I think you're going to have to have a, a willingness to do that. So I, I do think that's a change. Like, to me, the biggest question Calgary has is, what else can Mitch Love do in the organization? He's been the American Hockey League Coach of the Year the last two years. So either you think he's your guy or you don't. And so I think they kind of have to make a decision there. But... I've mentioned some other names, Ryan Huska and Kirk Muller, who are both on the bench there now. 
Um, I've mentioned Travis Green. I think Brunette, as you talked about with the um, with the point about Huberto, is a very good one. And I've heard about Alex Tangay too, who played for the Flames and knows both Conroy and, again, Lowell. So do I think the search could go wider than that? For sure. Oh, uh, Merrick mentioned Mark Savard. Mm-hmm. I think, like... They're gonna look. They're gonna look for people who can, who can work on some offense and open them up a bit. So I think that's the kind of thing we're looking at. Okay, one more before we let you scoot here, uh, Arizona. Yeah. So I was I saw a video Craig Morgan did for Phoenix Sports, and he said uh, team's not for sale. The league doesn't have any plan to force Alex Morello to sell the team, and the league believes there are viable sites for a new arena. Uh, where where do you think things stand here? Do you have? I know they're going to be playing in Arizona next year at, at Mullet Arena, and after that, I can't imagine that without a plan that this thing's going to go anywhere. You and I talked about this last week, but do you have any update on where things stand right now and and how the league feels about this whole situation? Oh, I, I think everybody here is. It's like we talk about the surprise of of Dubis. I think in Arizona, they thought they were going to win this. So I, I think there's a lot of scrambling. Like the thing about the Players Association is I, I think there's a lot of pressure on on the on the PA to do something. I'm just not sure there's much that they can really do. Um, like if there's anything, like to be honest, to be honest, uh, Matt, because the Coyotes lost this, they could be doing the most honest things ever to try to find a new place the problem is nobody wants to hear it. Like even their own players are like, come on, like let's, we, we give us something fast. Now I still wonder about the Suns and all this. And I don't believe the coyotes would be a partner. I think they, they would probably have to sell the team. Um, but it, it's sort of like, I just don't think anybody's in the mood for speculation. They just want to know. And you know, that's kind of what they're competing with here. It is the story that never ends. The Arizona Coyotes in the state of Arizona. I, I don't. I feel like this will be for the rest of my lifetime too. The way it's going, um, Elliot. Off you go. Thank you very much. And you get to talk to Jeff tomorrow. I don't know what's worse, to be <laughs> honest. Out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, I say talking to Jeff is worse because he has crazier ideas than I do. Oh, that is true. There's yes. no question about that. I like to think I'm a little bit level-headed. That's that's how I kind of look at it. So lucky you continue you. to think that. Yeah, All right, I'll try. Thanks, buddy. There he goes. Elliot Freeman, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL on Sportsnet, and 32 Thoughts. We're going to hit a break, but when we come back, Mike McKenna, Daily Faceoff and former NHL goalie and massive wrestling fan. He said, why do we just talk about wrestling and not talk about hockey tomorrow? I said, well, we got to talk a little bit of hockey, Mike. It's a hockey show. Mike McKenna, when we come back, Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360.